0: Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller. The mission of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics is to expand your consciousness, stimulate thought, enhance your physical and mental well being, and promote community. Today, we're going to be talking about the untalkable. What is untalkable in your life? What are the topics? that you never talk about with your friends, with your family, with your closest associates in the world? What are those topics? What are the topics that when you get together with people, never get talked about? I want to hear from you today about what the untalkable topics are in your life. We're also going to be talking about speeding through life. Does everything seem to be getting faster and faster to you as it does to me? Well, it sure does seem to be getting faster to me. All kinds of things. And we're going to be talking about the effects of that speed on our psychology and our well-being. And we're also going to be talking about the second Bill of Rights. Yep, the second Bill of Rights was read to us. Way back in 1944, do any of you remember who it was that read that second Bill of Rights, who actually wrote that second Bill of Rights? We're going to be talking about that. So, on tap today, the untalkable, speeding through life, the second Bill of Rights. But first, news and notes on psychology and medicine. Here's an interesting study. Traffic-related noise accounts for over one million life years lost. In Europe. Yeah, the European Union is checking into this and doing studies on it. They are creating noise maps to identify areas that have different levels of ambient sound because now it's quite clear to science that sound does affect our psychology and our physiology. Years ago, there was a study that was done around an airport down in Southern California in the United States, and it was discovered that proximity to the airport was directly related to admission to mental hospitals. Yeah, noise really affects us. All kinds of noise. It's something for you to think about just around the house. Do you hear traffic at night when you're sleeping? If so, is there something you can do to cut down on that noise? Why do you want to cut down on the noise, you might ask? Well, here's the reason. If we're sleeping and there's noise outside that would disrupt the sleep, what the body does is it puts up a shield. We build a shield to shield out that noise so that we can maintain the sleep. But that shield costs. So if you're sleeping in a room, for example, and you've got the refrigerator very close and all night long, While you're asleep, that machine is going, "Mm, mm, mm, mm," like that, your body is going to be putting up a shield to keep that "Mm," out so you can sleep. That shield costs energy. A shield that you're putting up to stop jet planes if you happen to be unfortunate enough to live near an airport, that's a bigger shield, takes more energy. Larger shields from traffic, screeching, buses, trucks take even more energy. That energy is being taken away from the immune system, ergo it reduces our health. So, a word to the wise, do a sound analysis of your environment. Do what the European Union is doing for the people over there. Check out the sounds at night and see what you can do to create a quieter environment so you don't have to put up the shield that the body uses to protect us. Talking about protection. There is a hormone called melatonin. Many of you are familiar with it. It's involved in regulating what's called the circadian rhythm. That's our body clock, circadian rhythm. Fluctuations in this melatonin, the hormone, influence our desire to go to sleep or to stay awake. During evolution, sunlight exposure determined what our melatonin levels were now our bodies still respond to melatonin in the same way we did thousands of years ago the difference today is that we have other sources of light which can set our body clocks recent studies have shown that a 2 hour exposure a 2 hour exposure to light from an electronic display, such as sitting in front of the computer, can suppress melatonin levels 22% or more. That's the reason I'm reading this study to you, because so many of us are sitting in front of our computers, sitting in front of our computers during the day, sitting in front of our computers at night, but particularly before going to sleep. And here this study is telling us that the light from that computer suppresses melatonin, Therefore, it's having an effect on our body clock. Therefore, it can be disrupting our sleep. Something for us to know about, think about, what can we do about it? Not use the computer in the evening? Sit in the computer in the dark? No, that's not going to work because the computer's putting the light out itself. Well, something to think about. Here's something on the lighter side. Women who have doubts about their wedding have a higher risk of marital problems and divorce. Yeah, just having, A lot of us think, well, gee, everybody has doubts about their wedding, but that's not the case. There are people who have a lot more doubts than others, and some don't have many doubts about it at all. In this study, it was shown that people with doubts were two and a half times more likely to divorce four years later than those without doubts. Amongst those with doubts, who are still unma- who are still married, rather still married four years later, but they had doubts before the wedding, they were significantly less satisfied with their marriages and their marital life than those without doubts. So, what's the bottom line? What's the bottom line of this study? The bottom line is that these doubts are ex- important. They're significant. They're not just doubts. They're telling us something. So if you have them and you're thinking about getting married, pay attention. Pay attention. Discuss it. Look for some ways to possibly reduce the doubt, or maybe you're getting married to the wrong person. Uh, By the way, if you want to call in today, the telephone number here is five one zero three and I am going to be taking calls. I do want you to call in. I want to hear what you have to say about these topics that I'm reading about, but also about what's on your mind in psychology and medicine. What's going on in your life? Here's a new study of college students that indicates a weight gain during the four years of college of approximately twelve pounds right across the board of all the students. Why is that? Well, they're saying that eating habits get established in college, which put on weight, and furthermore, these habits continue throughout life if something isn't done to change the habit. So if you know somebody who's about to uh, go to college or will be going to college soon, something to talk about, how could they go to college knowing that if they don't, attend to their eating habits they're liable to be creating and most likely will be creating habits that are going to both put on weight during their college careers and are going to lead to habits which are going to follow them throughout their lives and make maintaining weight very difficult very difficult here's a study where men were given t-shirts to wear for two days, two days, hundreds of men were given T-shirts to wear for two days, and then the shirts were taken off, and women were asked, this might sound a little funny to you, but they were asked to smell the T-shirts and talk about which ones they found attractive and which ones they did not find attractive. This has to do with male and female attraction and how we get there and smell olfaction is a major part of it. The women chose the shirts of guys across the board. They chose the shirts of guys whose immune systems were different than theirs. And the reason for this is that choosing someone whose immune system is different from ours lends itself to producing offspring who are more disease-resistant. It's a fascinating study, really. You see, if we marry someone or get together and procreate with someone whose immune systems are similar, then the resistance to disease is less. So the women, not knowing, of course, what they were choosing, were attracted to, they were attracted to men's odors, which indicated that they were immune different. Now, this connects with another study which showed that 66% of women and 59% of men, about the same, but close, have experienced a first kiss with a new person that instantly killed the attraction. Why is that? What is there that's going on about, uh, about kissing? To begin with, there's testosterone in saliva. Yeah. And stimulation of our highly sensitive lips and tongues also triggers sex drive. So men use kissing to induce a sexual desire in women. That is, if they've got the right kind of saliva. Also, men unconsciously, we don't have any ideas what's going on while we're doing the kissing. We use kissing to assess the level of estrogen in a woman's saliva to determine her stage in the ovulation cycle and her fertility. Can you dig that, everybody? While we're thinking we're just having fun kissing, these unconscious mechanisms are going on. We've got these little tests going on. We're testing for estrogen. We're testing for testosterone. This is why men are more likely than women to initiate wet, open-mouthed, saliva-exchanging, tongue-kissing. And why is that? It's because men's sense of taste and smell are less acute. Yeah, we men have taste and smell that's less acute than women. Therefore, we need bigger, sloppier, if you will, samples of saliva to gather enough information to assess compatibility. Of course, none of us is kissing and saying to ourselves, Mm, let me see what this uh, saliva tastes like and to find out whether this person's going to be compatible with me. But yet that is what's going on in part of this both sophisticated and primitive activity that we call kissing. Lips are considered by some To be considered uh, that to be nature's mood ring. Yeah, turns out that lips flush darker. They get darker when a person is aroused, signaling receptivity. How many times have anybody that we know, how many times anybody you know, say, Oh, gee, I kissed uh, so and so, and I immediately started looking at the lips to see if there was uh, receptivity going on? Not likely. Men as it turns out, are attracted to women with naturally large lips because large lips signal arousal and openness. Lip plumpness peaks at age 14 in females. Yep, at age 14. Full lips also connote youth and good health in our culture. Men instinctively use kissing to smooth over conflicts. It's just part of our nature to do this. We smooth them over. Yep. Now, in the males, kissing drives up levels of something you've been hearing about lately, oxytocin, which promotes attachment and bonding. The novelty of kissing someone new may also release dopamine, which fosters romantic love. Did you know that? I didn't know that. New study coming out. Women exploit this using kissing to promote bonding. Women also kiss to assess the health of the relationship. Kissing is a barometer to know how happy a uh, a, a couple is. Boy, there's a lot to know about kissing. This study indicates that kissing evolved as a mate assessment tool, right? A way for men and women to try each other out, to literally taste each other before committing. Women prefer demure, self-closed-mouth kisses since their tastes, their senses of taste and smell, are acute. They don't need a lot to assess compatibility. So you remember the men like these big, sloppy, wet kisses because... We are less sensitive, or at least our sensing systems, that's what it means, able to, we're less able to discern information, so we need a lot more data. We need a lot more data. The study indicates that women prefer men with medium-sized, with medium-sized lips, thick enough to convey compassion and friendliness, but not so large as to appear feminine. Mm. The study also says that women incorrectly believe kissing is not a good way to reconcile after a fight. For men, it is a good way to reconcile. And last but not least, most women say they wouldn't have sex without kissing. doesn't happen to be the case with men. Men are willing to have sex without kissing. Well, what do you all think about this? Have you been kissing lately? Do you think about kissing? Do you uh, have you ever occurred to you that you're doing all these tests while you're kissing? I haven't. I thought I was just kissing. Hmm. While we're on that topic, let's talk about a study here that differentiates signs of lust and signs of love. See, we're going from kissing to lusting and loving. In signs of lust, you're totally focused on a person's looks and body. That's according to this research, by the way. You're interested in having sex, but not in having conversations. You'd rather keep the relationship on a fantasy level and not discuss real feelings. You want to leave soon after sex rather than cuddling or breakfast the next morning. You're lovers, but not friends. So those are considered signs of of lust. In the same study, signs of love. You want to spend quality time together other than sex. You get lost in conversations and forget about the hours passing. You want to honestly listen to each other's feelings, make each other happy. He or she motivates you to be a better person. You want to get to meet his or her family and friends. So we've gone from smelling t-shirts as a way of choosing a mate to tasting each other's saliva as a way of learning about a possible mate to signs of lust and signs of love as ways of choosing a mate. I want to hear from you all. What do you all think about how we choose mates? Pick up the phone. Give me a ring, 707-937-5103. And I want you to call, otherwise I'm just going to keep on. And... Where am I going next? Well, I think that's enough for news and notes at this time. We're going to move on to our topics of the day. I said I was going to talk about the untalkable, about speeding, speeding through life, and the, uh, the Bill of Rights. Well, we do have a caller. Yep. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air.
1: Hi. Um, so I, I heard that part where you were talking about the smelling of the T-shirt. Yes. And I actually heard that years ago, and I'm not sure if you said there's another part of it, which I had heard, and I I wasn't from a direct source. It was, you know, my boyfriend told
0: me. <laughs> yes. Um, was he wearing a T-shirt when he told you?
1: Uh, probably. <laughs> um, but the other part of it was that, they, they did it again with um, women who had children, and the women who had children chose the men, chose the T-shirts um, with of the men who had immune systems similar to their children's. Oh. Yeah. So I just want to—I don't know where it comes from, but that's the other part of it that I thought was very interesting. So very
0: interesting. Put that in there. Yes. What I love about this is that it's, reminding us that there is so much information that's being exchanged between us when we get together with another human being that we're not aware of at all. And yet it's going on all the time. So in a study that our listener just called in about, the women chose T-shirts of men that, that whose immune systems were similar to that of their children. Just another example of how the wisdom and the processing that goes on inside of us. Fascinating. Thanks for that call. Well, are we going to talk about speeding through life? Doesn't everything seem to be going faster? Why is that? Do you ask yourself why is that? Why does life seem to be going by so much more rapidly? What is, how does that come about? Is that being put upon us by the culture? Is it because cars, the speedometers, go faster and faster? Each year they come out with a model. Now that you can get a car with a speedometer that goes up to 170, even though you, the speed limit on the highway is 55. You get your next motorcycle. It goes faster and has a bigger and bigger engine. Your computer moves fast. You remember when dial-up... Would, Computers. Some of you still have dial-up. First came out, and it seemed like we could get information so fast. But then we got a modem, and we started to get this even faster. And then wireless and routers. And the, it, now the information's coming at us so fast that if I sit in front of my computer and I have to wait what thirty seconds for something, it seems like oh my gosh, what am I? This is very slow. This thing is just creeping along here. Faster and faster. So technology is bringing us equipment that moves materials faster and faster, moves information faster and faster. A washing machine washes the clothes faster. A toaster toasts the bread faster than you would if you just held it over the flame. There are all kinds of pieces of technology that move things Faster and faster and now we're down to something called what nanoseconds, little tiny, tiny pieces of a second. so everything is moving faster and faster, and we therefore are responding to it, and it feels as though, doesn't it, that life is therefore going by faster and faster. Does it feel that way to you? Does it? give me a call nine three seven five one zero three so I did. Well, somebody is calling. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air.
2: Good morning. Hi. Who am I speaking with?
0: Well, this is Dr. Richard Miller on Mind, Body, Hi. Health, and Politics. Who am I speaking with?
2: <laughs> Kathleen. <laughs> so Hi. The faster and faster is because we're more connected to the source, and our asking has never been greater. So, the, you know, it comes faster to us. But if there's, you know, there's different theories on that. Terrence McKenna, who's now deceased, has an excellent theory on that. And you can get that off of Daniel, excuse me, Pinchback's Evolver Group, Reality Sandwich, is his uh, e-magazine. Yes. So he has this theory, too, that, you know, the computer, which you were speaking of, is just a... An extension of our brain, basically an outside of us extension of our brain. So, as we move forward, you know, things, we've created ways for our asking to be answered faster and faster. So, his theory is that nature abhors simplicity, and that... It's, it's, it's built in to have things become more complex and more complex and more complex as we move closer to creating our own God, us, our own God. And it's not easy becoming a God. It's not beautiful. It's not clean. It's sometimes ugly, sometimes violent. No one said it was easy. So that's his theory. There's different theories, but the real reason I called in was to talk about... <clears throat> How we may, why we stray, and what it means in a modern relationship, and that—that's from *Sex at Dawn*, written by Christopher Ryan and a wonderful woman named.
0: His co-author was. Yeah, Steph. you mentioned Terence McKenna. We had—I had, I had uh, his brother Dennis McKenna on the program a couple yeah. of months ago. Uh, a very interesting man, and I, I refer all of you listening to uh, to Dennis McKenna and his work on ayahuasca. Yes. Yeah. You also mentioned Daniel Pinchback, and that's somebody that uh, we all want to have a look at as well. And I've yeah. uh, I've reached out to him, and um, I think he'll be coming on the program uh, yeah. sometime in the next few months as well. What is your question, by the way?
2: Well. <clears throat> You, you asked the question on why are we moving faster and faster? And right. Terrence McKenna pretty much answers that question in his um, interview that it, you can get off of Daniel Pinchback's e-magazine, Reality Sandwich, if you want to access that. Okay. Okay, that's, that's one answer. Hello? Hello. Okay, hello.
0: <laughs> I thought I lost you there. Well, maybe I did. No, nope, sounds like I lost her. Well, we're going to move on. She, but the two people, the people she's referencing. Just if you if you missed that, are uh, are Terence McKenna and uh, and Daniel Pinchbeck, and uh, I guess he uh, Pinchbeck has a has a blog that uh, some of you might be interested in. Um, so where are we going now? We're talking about the speeding, and um, one of the things that I did is an experiment, uh, starting some years ago. Is to try to do the opposite, I hear there's another call, but I'm going to wait a second before taking it, uh, listener. so uh, please hang on. I just want to finish up and say I did an experiment with not taking elevators, walking steps, purposely parking further away from where I was going than I would ordinarily, which is to get close, and purposely driving below the speed limit um i'll come back to those three but i want to pick up this call here welcome to mind body health and politics you're on the air hello hello yes welcome you're on the air
3: oh hello yes thank you hey uh dr miller yeah i had a question you had brought up uh intolerable subjects or things that we don't like talking about and i've had something in my life that's like that and uh I don't know, just want to kind of come out of the closet for maybe some other people out there as well. Uh, I'm a four, mid-40s man, uh, construction worker, pretty macho type guy. Something I've never evolved out of is sucking my thumb when I am stressed out. And uh, it's something I never speak about with anybody, and I have no idea what the motivation is for it, and I'm wondering... What did you do about it, or should I do anything about
0: it? <laughs> well, it, it, it's embarrassing. Maybe we lost the... Uh, maybe we lost him. Thumb sucking. Any of you want to make a comment about it? Thumb sucking usually involves placing the thumb into the mouth, and sometimes it, it, it goes along with kind of rhythmically... Repeating a sucking contact for a, a prolonged duration, um, and it starts at birth because babies uh, reflexively uh, suck on any object that 's placed in their mouths, and this is the uh, the sucking reflex, and it 's responsible, of course, for uh, for breastfeeding. Uh, typically, this reflex disappears at about uh, four months of age. Um, However, it's not considered purely an instinctive behavior and therefore uh, can last much longer. It generally stops by the age of five years. However, it's not that unusual um, for adults to do it. But as this gentleman caller said, uh, it's not something that people are are, um, are comfortable talking about in public, particularly... Uh, um, adults, but teenagers as well, because it's considered baby-like behavior. You know what does it mean? Oh, you suck your thumb. You know you're still a baby, and so on. What I love is that you've acknowledged that you put it right out there. And if there are other people who, who, or adults who are willing to come on right now and say that they also uh, suck their thumbs or they're embarrassed about it, I think it would be a great thing. Where am I headed with this untalkable? Let me say something about that. Why I want to talk about the untalkable. <laughs> Well, before I do, there's another caller. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air.
3: Hey, Mr. Miller, how are you? Hi. Um, I had a quick question about your first topic, about attraction. Go ahead. So what causes visual uh, stimulation or attraction when you're seeing somebody? You don't kiss them yet. You just see a girl in the grocery store, and, you know, you can see that she notices you. You notice her this weird little electricity happens but it's it's rare you know it doesn't seem like it's constant because sometimes it'll be somebody you wouldn't expect to be attracted to or vice versa so anyway i was just wondering about that is it in the eyes is it in what we see on the surface or i was wondering if you know about any studies in that regard and i'll take my answer off here thanks
0: yeah visual attraction it's a quality that causes an interest or a desire in something uh in someone or something. And um, a common slang, you know, for visually appealing persons that, uh, that draw attention is eye candy. The implication is that they are eye-catching in a superficial fashion, you know, due to uh, some element often of, of like sexuality. Um, there are all kinds of, of reasons for, uh, for physical attractiveness, and most of the studies um, aim towards something that the person finds that's attractive that ticks off something within the seer um, that says that this is going to be a good bet for procreation. That that's a lot of what the what the visual attraction is about at the subconscious level. It's sort of similar to the to the smell and to the taste of the of the saliva, um, um, so th- that's what's going on with the visual attraction. And then there are theories about you know what makes a particular person um, uh, attractive to a particular to another person, but if a lot of it does have to do with what I'm talking about here, which is that unconsciously we're looking about at the other person in terms of who's the best bet to have children with. There's another caller. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Hello? Hello? Yes, hi, welcome.
1: Am I on the air?
0: You sure are.
1: Okay, you were talking about thumb sucking? Yes. And um, I don't suck my thumb. But I smoke cigarettes, and I wanted you to make a connection between that because I think that's a lot of why people smoke. So I'll, uh,
0: I'll hang up and listen. Yes, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. What do you all think about that? She smokes cigarettes, doesn't smoke a thumb, but she sees that, um, that there is a connection there, obviously, putting something in the mouth. Hmm. Well, what I was talking about, there before before i i lost my almost lost my train of thought um was this the speeding by the up oh, there's another call I'll get the speeding i'm I'm speeding away from it welcome to mind body health and politics you're on the air hello
4: hi hi it, How are you there myself i think Hello? Hi. I have a question. Earlier you talked about attraction and how women chose men who had the same immune system as their children. And I'm going, okay, what's the secret to figuring that out? I mean, how do you, how do you know they have the same immune system as your children?
0: Oh, very good question. Okay. I'll,
4: I'll take that, the that, answer
0: that off air. Thank you. That came from the other study where, um, where the women were smelling the T-shirts, if you recall, and they could pick up something without knowing it in the smell of the T-shirt, and it turns out that when they did the analysis of which T-shirts which women chose, they chose T-shirts of men who had different immune systems than they did. And the theory here is that when we procreate with a person who has a different immune system than we do, then we increase we increase the chances of our children being disease resistant because two different immune systems will combine to give more disease resistant, create more disease resistant children. Somebody else called in with the with the one about the, um, with, the with the similarity between the males. Immune system and the children, and I don't just don't know much or anything about that. That was the first time I heard that. Um, here's another caller. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air.
1: Yes, just one comment. Is this why I've always heard that prostitutes will not kiss?
0: Oh, <laughs> very interesting. You hear the listeners asking, is this why prostitutes don't kiss? I guess what you're implying there. Is that there's no need to make that kind of saliva assessment and to have that kind of intimacy because there isn't going to be procreation involved. It's clearly a business relationship. Very interesting. If you all have thoughts about that, I'm not going to comment on it myself. I don't. I don't know. I don't claim to know why uh, prostitutes. Uh, do or do not kiss or whether modern prostitutes still don't kiss. Maybe some of you are willing to call in if you have uh, information on that topic. Um, I'm going to go back to the speeding through life topic. As I mentioned, I've done some personal experiments with this, purposely driving below the speed limit. Because all my life, you know... I, I would drive like 10 miles above the speed, uh, 10% above the speed limit. So the speed limit's 55, so maybe I'd let myself do 59 or 59 and a half, maybe 60, because I figure the, the police will give you, you know, that much grace. But obviously what I'm looking for is a way to go faster. So I've been experimenting purposely going slower. All my life I took elevators when I got into tall buildings or buildings above a certain height. So I've been training myself with experiments to purposely walk the stairs and see what happens. So years ago, I, I started this experiment, excuse me, over at Wilbur Hot Springs, where I'm fortunate enough to be able to make some of the rules and regulations. And I set the speed limit there at 10 miles an hour. This is a fascinating exercise, and I encourage you, to try it out if you can find a place where you can drive your vehicle at 10 miles an hour or less for 5 or 10 minutes in a row i i promise you you're going to have a very interesting experience it to begin with it's not an easy thing to do at least it wasn't for me it wasn't e- it's not easy to drive 10 miles an hour or less i'm so used to driving whatever 30 40 50 60 70 miles an hour That driving 10 miles an hour really takes some some focus and concentration because I could feel the inner tendency to want to go faster. What it does for me is it changes my perception of the environment, and that's what I'm sharing with you all and asking you, if you will, to try this as an experiment. Drive 10 miles an hour or less or see what it's like to purposely drive below the speed limit. See what it's like to park further away from where you're going than you would ordinarily, and then walk to that place. See if it has the effect of slowing down. Another call. Yes. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Are you there? I'm here. Okay. Let's hear what you have to say.
1: I was a sucker as a child. And okay. And I'm... Nearly 60, and it's funny because I've been thinking about it lately. My hands are always in the position of thumb-sucking. I don't suck my thumb, but my hands are, I mean, just short of putting my thumb in my mouth. So there you go.
0: Uh Uh-huh. And then are there correlations between smoking and thumb-sucking? Or using a pacifier I wonder some people I believe use thumb sucking as a way to in fact I'm sure of this as a way to stop smoking maybe this next caller can tell us more about it welcome to mind body health and politics you're on the air hello
3: hello how's it going
0: going well what's your question or comment
3: Oh, I just had a comment, a couple of comments on the uh, prostitutes don't... I believe the prostitutes don't kiss because of diseases.
0: Because of what?
3: Diseases. I see. no text there. And then uh, the other thing was a caller... I heard comment on uh, attraction. Yes. And I was wondering about... um, Because your eyes see someone and you get visually stimulated, but then there are these other... Um, what do you call vibrations going on? That we have? Yes. Like our heartbeat, our brain, you know, is pulsing and sending out these vibrations. And I've always wondered if people are on the same kind of wavelength, you know, if they see each other, and then they can have this attraction
0: because of okay.
3: vibrations.
0: Mm-hmm. So what our listener is suggesting, if you could hear him there, is saying, you know, in addition to the saliva, in addition to the smell... In addition to the visuals, are we picking up something else, maybe at a what vibrational level, a chemical, physical, physiological reaction? I think we all think so, don't we? Welcome to Mind Body Health and Politics. You're on the air. Hello. Hello.: Hi, you're on the air.
1: Thank you for this program. I would you're welcome. Say that um, in the nose are brain neurons. Unlike other sensory organs, the ear has an auditory nerve. The eye has an optic nerve that send messages to the brain. But the nose has brain neurons right there. So as soon as a smell hits your nose, your immune system starts reacting and sending your body messages about whether this is an appropriate mate or not. Many species choose their mate on the basis of smell. Okay, so if everyone is masking their natural pheromone smell with artificial fragrances and people are attracted to each other by their artificial fragrances, they are basing their attraction on false information. So if they get married and they finally start a relationship without the artificial fragrances, they are going. They may find that they have chosen the wrong mate.
3: <laughs>
0: Very good.
1: So I think instead of using artificial fragrances to attract mates, we should give pheromones a chance.
0: Nicely said. Okay. Thank, you Thank you so much. I've often wondered about what we're doing to ourselves when we put these uh, sweat reducers or sweat inhibitors, what are they called, antiperspirants, on our body. And that's what our listener is talking about, isn't it? That instead of suppressing our own pheromones, we should let them out so that the other person at the olfactory level knows what kind of person they're getting, eh? Well, we're moving along in time here, and um, I don't know how much more time we're going to have about the, for the untalkable. I talked a little about speeding through life and some experiments that we could do to slow things down, um, but I did want to get on to something else that I promised uh, at the beginning of the program, and that is the Economic Bill of Rights. I know this is a big switch. But this is mind, body, health, and politics, and here comes the political part. I read to you. It is our duty now to begin to lay the plans and determine the strategy for the winning of a lasting peace and the establishment of an American standard of living higher than ever before known. We cannot be content, no matter how high that general standard of living may be, if some fraction of our people, whether it be one-third or one-fifth or one-tenth, is ill-fed, ill-clothed, ill-housed, and insecure. The Republic had its beginning and grew to its present strength under the protection of certain inalienable political rights, among them the right of free speech, free press, free worship, trial by jury, freedom from unreasonable search and seizures. They were our rights to life and liberty. As our nation has grown in size and stature, however, as our industrial economy expanded, these political rights proved inadequate to assure us equality in the pursuit of happiness. In, in, equal in our pursuit of happiness we have come to a clear realization of the fact that true individual freedom cannot exist without economic security and independence necessitous men are not free men people who are hungry and out of a job are the stuff of which dictatorships are made In our day, these economic truths have become accepted as self-evident. We have accepted, so to speak, a second Bill of Rights under which a new basis of security and prosperity can be established for all, regardless of station, race, or creed. In this new second Bill of Rights, we have the right to, to a useful and remunerative job in the industries or shops or farms or mines of the nation. The right to earn enough to provide adequate food and clothing and recreation. The right of every farmer to raise and sell his products at a return which will give him and his family a decent living. The right of every businessman, large and small, to trade in an atmosphere of freedom from unfair competition and domination by monopolies at home or abroad. The right of every family to a decent home. The right to adequate medical care and the opportunity to achieve and enjoy good health. The right to adequate protection from the economic fears of old age Sickness, accident, and unemployment. The right to a good education. All of these rights spell security. And now comes the part which will tell you more about who wrote this. And after this war is won, we must be prepared to move forward in the implementation of these new rights to new goals of human happiness and well-being. America's own rightful place in the world depends in large part upon how fully these and similar rights have been carried into practice for our citizens. This new second Bill of Rights, folks, was written and read by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt on July 11, 1944, in his message to the Congress of the United States on the State of the Union. I think it's particularly appropriate at this time, and that's why I read this to you. I urge all of you to go to Google, look up Roosevelt's State of the Union, January 11th, 1944. Make a copy of it. Keep it for yourselves. Share it with others. Because, as you could see, he was telling us then what we needed to be doing then and what we need to be doing now. That's another call. I'll take it now. Uh, welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air.
3: Hi, I just wanted to say something about the speeding up of time, real quick. Certainly. Before I cut out on my cell phone, just that okay. when you slow down, you actually gain um, time. Yes. Are you sure?
0: Yes, it seems like a longer, fuller day. It's not speeding yeah. by.
3: You're in the present moment. When you're present, you seem like you have so much more time. Yes. So I drive, I travel to work about an hour and a half a day and if I'm in a hurry, I get there later. <laughs> and if I'm just, you know, moving along and trying not to Basically when I'm in a hurry, I get in my own way.
0: Uh-huh.
3: And I and I and I speed time up.
0: Thank you. It's,
3: it's being in the, you know, being in the moment and trying not to get in your own way. And uh, just kind of like Zen mode, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. But that's just...
0: Thank you for the call. Slowing down as a way of getting more out of life. Anybody have any... Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Hello?
4: Good morning. Good morning. We're talking about the pursuit of happiness. And actually, mostly, it's about the pursuit of living, just living and not even being happy, just eating and having medicine and a place to sleep and waking up every day knowing that that's going to happen. That's something that a lot of people don't have today. I remember I had a child with COPD and uh, costly, very costly medicine and hospital visits, hundreds of thousands of dollars. and going to bed at night and going, God, please, don't let my child get a cold, because if she does, it's going to cost us $15,000 and we don't mm. have it.
5: Mm-hmm. That's something
4: people live with every single day. It's all upside down, but I'll, I'll take you know information off the air. It's, you know, Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Okay. I wonder, did you hear me read, well, you won't be able to answer me, but I wonder if you heard me read the, uh, the Economic Bill of Rights, I'll just remind you again that this was uh Franklin Roosevelt, President Franklin Roosevelt's July eleventh, nineteen forty four State of the Union address. Uh we have another caller. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health and Politics. You're
5: on the air. Hello? Yes. Hi. Okay, uh. All right. uh with all respect, uh what makes you think that Roosevelt wasn't a liar like the rest of them?
0: Um I didn't make any comment on whether I thought Roosevelt was a truth teller or a liar. I was simply simply reading his State of the Union address in nineteen
5: forty four. Well, obviously, the legacy that uh, we've been left with contradicts that drastically. And uh, yeah, I've got a list of comments. I guess you know the first thing that that I would like to uh, uh, get people to check out, uh, inspired by your last bit of uh, actually, your are you're quoting Roosevelt. Um, there's, there's, uh, Iranian technology, uh, being given away to the world and all the countries of the world have been invited to, uh, pick up on it for free and our country and Britain and, you know, the, uh, cabal controlled countries are still holding out. So, uh, go to K E K-E-S-H-E S H E foundation, Keshe org. And read about what 's blacked out in our mainstream news coverage um, they're offering a better future for all of us, and it's from iranian scientists
0: k e s h e dot org Thank you So we talked about a little bit about the untalkables. actually, we got one person really talked about a big unta- uh, untalkable, and that was the thumb-sucking. But we have many more topics in our culture, don't we? Many more topics that we don't talk about. Of course, the big three have always been what? Religion, sex, and money. Not to talk about. But there are a lot, many more things. The thumb-sucking is a really great example about it um, uh, of, of an untalkable. Sometimes particular families have topics that are untalkable that others around the corner may be able to talk about. But the bottom line here is that freedom of speech is there for a reason. It's partly having to do with politics. It also has to do with how we feel about ourselves and what the taboo topics are and what it does to us when we have taboo topics or when we feel that there's something that we cannot talk about. So we're going to end today with an encouragement to talk about that which is difficult to talk about. Maybe you could just find one person, your closest friend, and bring up the topics. Maybe you can only do it alone with yourself in a room. That's okay, too. Could you acknowledge to yourself out loud what it is that you're afraid to talk about with any other human being? That's a great place to start, to start with ourselves. What am I afraid to talk about? What won't I talk about with my closest intimates, with anybody, and then take it from there? There's a man in the East who's given the name to talking about everything and anything. He's given the name radical transparency. We're going to be talking about that in the future. What does it mean to be radically transparent, to let everything out in the open? Do we want to be that way? Would that make life healthier? Would it make it more interesting? Or would it just get to be more absurd? Something to think about. That's about the untalkable. Right now. We talked about speeding through life in some ways to slow it down by doing the opposites. I hope some of you will try that out. I'd be interested to hear in the future what your results were from purposely walking instead of taking elevators. Purposely driving, 10% lower than the speed limit. Hmm. Purposely doing things to slow down or to get out of the habit of speeding up. Well, thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, which is brought to you by our KZYX staff and our in-studio engineer, my dear friend Mike Delaura. Please Listen in again in exactly two weeks at 9 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Until then, this is Dr. Richard Miller reminding you that good health is worth fighting for, and it's essential for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.